Welcome to the SoulWorks Podcast, a place where we explore self-care strategies that lead us to our well-being and highest self. I'm your host, Ade Chakol. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being with me again today. Today, I have an amazing guest with me. I have Luke Cohen. Luke has been working with leaders, change agents, social entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, artists, and healers professionally as a self-mastery mentor, quantum healer, and business coach for many years. Whether one-on-one, in group programs, retreats, online, or in person, Luke has been generously sharing everything he's embodied to help others build sustainable and scale soulful fulfillment, freedom, and empowered co-creation. Luke, I got to know you from a video that you shared with me on Instagram, which really resonated with me on how change is inevitable. And I really wanted to have a conversation with you after watching that video. So I'm very, very grateful for the work you do and for being here today. So thank you so much. Thanks. I'm grateful to be here with you. Hello, everybody. Awesome. And before I start any question, I usually ask, what's your morning routine like? Hmm. Depends how many calls I have scheduled and how early I get up. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, for me, my preferred morning ritual um, starts with uh, sitting. You know, I wake up and before I even get out of my bed, I I sit up and I I attune myself to some stillness and non-doing because the days can get pretty busy. And so I try to take the time I need to feel like there's no pressure whatsoever coming and really letting my body w- awaken through the breath and presence. And then, um, you know, any, any, some varying form of sound movement and breath, you know, qigong or yoga or dance or anything that just will jumpstart my day, bioenergetics. Like for me, I have a lot of different practices I've learned over the last 14 years. And I used to have much more regimented approaches, but I've found that when I give myself permission to just see what is going to feel the best for me that day, I don't, I don't have to follow the same sequence or set or, or pranayam or whatever it is. I, I, I let myself kind of explore what, what my body wants that morning. And so it'll, it'll mm. fluctuate. I'll rotate different sequences and things like that. And then, um, you know, I, I kind of go on and off with coffee. I enjoy bulletproof coffee that I make for myself, with, and I add some tonic herbs, and I use uh, ghee instead of butter, and you know, really good MCT oil. And I really love tea, and I love coffee, and I love the ritual of like a warm beverage in the morning and having that moment with with life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's that's mm-hmm. usually part of part of my uh, how I wake wake up my day. If there's any days I wake up and the first thing I do is look at my phone, it's usually not not a productive day. Or, or I mean, it still <laughs> can be a productive day, but I I really try to avoid the set boundaries with myself to not roll out of bed and look at my phone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I agree one hundred percent. Well, you know, uh, for those of you listening, it's early morning for Luke right now. We have a twelve-hour difference. He lives in Bali, so I'm just so grateful and thank you for doing this in the morning. Um, yeah, no worries. Yeah, and um, so you're a self mastery coach, a quantum healer. You're a business coach and also a musician, right? Yeah. And well, how did it all unfold in your life? How did <laughs> how did it all start? That's a broad stroke. So the origin story, <laughs> what, what got me on this path? Because uh, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. 
for me, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of things. There, there was a sort of um, a culmination of events, but there really was a defining, some defining moments that happened to me. And basically, at uh, 22 years old, in my last year of college, I had a full healing crisis and my body broke down. And I went from being a very agile and competitive athlete, martial artist and runner and basketball player to basically walking with a cane almost overnight. And I went to all these specialists and physical therapists and doctors and naturopaths and did the x-rays and the MRIs and all the things. And no one could really tell me what was going on. One of the PTs was like, yeah, you'll probably need a hip replacement at 30. Like, like a lot of discouraging information. I was just like, I don't believe you. And I'm not going to take that in. Like, so even though I was like, still very much in the system, then I didn't believe what I was being told. I was like, no, I got to figure out how to heal this. And, you know, it was very discouraging for me, you know, to be that agile as, as a, you know, young, vibrant human being to go to, you know, not being able to access those, those flow states, you know, cause that was my, my healthy out back then, my healthy, healthy way of, of getting a break from my mind or my, my patterns or my addictions or my, or some of the, you know, I guess what you could call mental illness uh, at the time. That was my out. My healthy out was running, was, was the flow state that you get into when you're in basketball, when you're in what they call the, in the pocket or in the zone, and then with martial arts as well. And so the, my healthy outlet was taken away from me. And so, I, you know, I had, I had, you know, dropped into depression and obviously went through a type of identity crisis around, around all of that because of how invested I was in becoming a professional MMA fighter and, you know, all the things that I wanted to do. And so, yeah, basically had some synchronicities that, 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 you know, I call it the grace, the grace of uh, the universe. I don't, I don't really know how else to describe it as a, as a type of uh, powerful grace. And I had bought myself this cast iron teapot for my birthday. I think my, my sister gave me like a, a TJ Maxx card or something. And I'm, I don't know how a really beautiful cast iron teapot made it into TJ Maxx, but I saw it and it jumped out and I was like, I'm getting that for myself. <laughs> and then I, uh, I was just sitting and having tea in my apartment one day. And, you know, I think I was moving into a new layer of acceptance of my situation, kind of like, okay, you know, I'm feeling defeated, but I, I there's got to be something I can do. And I just had to kind of surrender into what was happening. And I dropped into what I call the living stillness of the universe. And, and I, I entered a very deep meditation that lasted a very long time and all my thoughts emptied out. And I was, yeah, in, in just that living stillness. And in that space, I woke up some memories of who I had been before, an aspect of my soul, if you will, came back to me. And when I came out of the meditation, I, I had this irrefutable burning desire in my being to, to, to awaken, to, to heal, to, to seek what is the nature of reality? Because what, like, it was like, whatever that was, it, it blew away all those other things that I had tasted. It blew away every peak experience that I had had previously, you know, from sexuality to substances to, you know, those flow states. And so there was something about how profound that stillness was and how profound it was to meet that part of my soul again. Um, just, it changed my life forever. And so basically within the coming days and weeks, I, I really made some significant behavioral choices, uh, shifts in behavior and let go of some, some addictions that were really weren't serving me anymore. And I, and I gradually disaffiliated from my fr fraternity at the time. And 
And by the time I um, graduated college, I went right to, I went, I waited tables and went right to India. I never went to the nine, into the nine to five world. I never um, grabbed a typical job and, and just, I went full force into the spiritual path. And that was, uh, you know, about 14 and a half years ago. It's been a very wild ride ever since. And along that journey, I mean, there's like movies worth of material, just really far out stuff that happened and mm-hmm. some, you know, beautiful, powerful souls that really illuminated who I was to help me help show me myself and help me to unravel, you know, trauma and help me unravel certain aspects of, of conditioning that, that really keep us in suffering. And, and inevitably, as I went through those processes and started to gain the tools and started to have enough healing myself, it, it, it naturally overflowed to make that available to other people. And, um, and it started very innocently. Like there wasn't like, I'm going to be a healer today and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to heal people. It wasn't, it wasn't like a choice. Like I didn't even have a choice. And, you know, as I noticed that I had a gift for it, you know, I really was that wounded healer archetype where my deep and intense struggle, existential level challenges that I was continuously in for years didn't take away from the fact that I could provide a pretty profound space for others. And uh, it's taken me a long time to resolve a lot of my own issues fully and completely. But over the years, I've gotten to really see what works and what doesn't. A lot of the traps of the spiritual path, a lot of the traps of, of where the egoic constructs that we have are, as just survival mechanisms can really uh, limit our capacity to receive and can really interrupt our what our potential you know as as human beings so Mm -hmm. yeah wow thank you so much for sharing that i understand what you mean because i I can relate to also about you know once you're in your path you feel like you don't have a choice Uh, for me it was uh so i went through a divorce and i felt extremely lost and that was you know, very traumatic time for me. But eventually, you know, I went into uh, doing a lot of work on myself. And um, I hired a coach. And after working with my coach and um, a lot of energy healing, I felt extremely different. And as I kind of ended my coaching session with my coach, I was thanking her for everything she did for me. But I knew that that wasn't enough and I had to, it wasn't a choice for me to get into the path of sharing my story. And, you know, after, you know, the difference that it has made in my life, I I felt like I owed it to others to share my experience. So I understand what you mean by that. Yeah. In your website, uh, you also said that the loss of a family member also created a massive shift in your, in your life. Can yeah. You, yeah. Uh, yeah. So my freshman year of college that year, uh, uh, not the year that I had the healing crisis, I believe that it was the accumulated grief from the loss of my brother-in-law in 9-11 that, that led to my body breaking down, that there was four and a half years of numbing the grief, uh, not knowing how to process that level of loss, and being in a, in a culture that doesn't really know how to process grief is a culture that's very focused on self-destruction. You know, there's a sort of enabling of self-destruction in, in that kind of college culture scene, you know, substance abuse and pushing body really hard and things like that. So I would, you know, not only was I training 
you know, hours a day and, you know, playing all these full court games of basketball and going hard, I had all this unprocessed grief. And then I was also on top of that using substances, you know, alcohol and, and, mm. and stimulants and, and things like that. You know, I was on, I was prescribed Adderall at the time and totally abused that. And, and there was just, um, yeah, I think, and the and poor diet, you know, I didn't know anything about diet, you, you know, eating you know, college cafeteria food and, you know, like cheesy pizzas and, you know, just crap, you know, when you're, when you're mm. you know, a kid in college, you don't, and you don't have any like health oh awareness, <laughs> you're going to eat chicken nuggets yeah. and stuff, you know? So I think the combination of all that is really what, what led to it. And, and also the martial art that I practiced was quite vigorous in, in that there was a, a lot of, I think there was a lot of repetitive stress movements. Like I was, you know, the, the punches and kicks were this very whipping motion. And, you know, from my particular body type, I think without the balance of an internal art, a thing like yoga or qigong to balance that element, it, it was a kind of an ine- inevitable breakdown. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, that year when I went to India, I actually went and saw a Vedic astrologer who I kid you not, with all of my, like, with clothes that covered my arms and legs, he knew where all my tattoos were looking at my chart and asked me to show him my tattoos. <laughs> like, you were like, show me the one on oh your my. ankle, show me the one on your back. Like, and I'm like, how does this guy know that I have tattoos and they're completely covered? And basically told me that if, um, if I cultivated power in this lifetime to destroy, that I would be destroyed through my body. Like, I literally had to give it all back to God or I'd be humbled through my body. And, I, and it just, that really landed for me. I was like, oh, well, that's why my body broke down. I was cultivating power and strength as a warrior to, to, to be able to destroy another human being to, to, you know. And so, like, you know, I swung into that one pen, pendulum of being self-destructive and learning a martial art to, to really hurt. You know, I grew up in New York City and had a lot of unsafe moments and never really had a fair fight or, you know, I, I survived a lot of you know, dangerous situations. And that's what propelled me into martial arts mm. to protect myself and to feel confident and be able to move through the world as a man. And I didn't know I had a hypersensitive nervous system. I didn't know I was empathic. I didn't know what any of those things meant <laughs> at all at the time. And here I am getting this sort of transmission from this like master level Vedic astrologer. And he's, he, and he's like distilling like a karmic challenge <laughs> to like a T. If you cultivate power to destroy, you will be humbled through your body. And it, it really hit me. And I, and I knew why I was on a healing path after that point. I knew, okay, this is, I need to balance this energy that I've had, you know, mm. this, this warrior energy needs to co- become, you know, integrated. And so a mm-hmm. lot of the, the journeys I went on after that, you know, and some of the masters that I studied with was really about resolving a lot of that warrior energy and coming into, yeah, more of what, what, that, what does that healership look like? What does it mean to be a warrior in a different way than the way that I knew? Mm. What would you say are the things that people can do? I mean, right now around the world, there are a lot of people going through grief and a lot of things are, you know, different what would you say are the things that helped you when you went through that journey yeah. that people can do today? Yeah, I mean, grief is such a primal human thing. It's, it, it, is, it actually stirs the soul and can awaken the soul. When we have enough safety and support to move through the energy, it can empty out other things that have been stored so when the, when the grief gates finally open, 
we tend to grieve other things as well. And that's why people have a hard time and resist it because it, they're scared of being lost in the energy. They're scared of being consumed by the grief, which is un an understandable fear for that, that aspect that keeps us safe from, uh, from accessing those feelings fully. But what I found was really helpful was a combination of things. It was, it was group ritual, you know, sweat lodge ceremony for me really changed my life um, and was able to grieve in the darkness in this indigenous, you know, technology of prayer that, you know, is purifying, purifying your spirit in that space. And so I had some really peak experiences and this is without any plant medicine or anything. This is just, just the, the, the nature of the style of the, the, how healing those songs are and how healing those, those technologies are. And there's, and there's tons of different types of grief rituals that come from different indigenous cultures that because they didn't have, they didn't have the same relationship with, with death and grief that we do in our modern world. They, they actually had healthy rituals to process that energy. And so it works with that, that undogmat. It's, you know, there's no dogma. It's just, it's just a way of moving the energy and the trauma or the pain or the loss. The other thing that was helpful for me uh, to process trauma is uh, there's, there's different technologies out there. EMDR is one. EFT is another, um, bioenergetics therapy, you know, working with, with practitioners that know how to sit in the discomfort of grief. They're not, they're not just trying to get rid of someone's stuff, but they can actually meet them and be with them and hold them without trying to change them. Just be a company, accompanying them in the pain. And so I, I had a mentor that I did a lot of work with where I essentially, he would help me navigate into the feelings that I was unaware that I was suppressing. He would help me navigate into the feelings that I was unaware were shaping a lot of my reality and would help me un access those feelings and, and move, move the, the charge, move the charge of energy, move the, move the trauma, move the, the, the feelings. And so having another soul who's a little further down the line that can, you know, express and, and emanate enough presence and love for the things that we're, we're challenged to love is one of the most important things we can allow into our life if we want to grow because we're not meant to do it on our own. And a lot of the lone wolf, you know, isolate or disconnect or turtle shell. I mean, it has its place at times, but, but ultimately trauma needs connection in order to resolve. Trauma needs the light of connection in order to heal. Right. Yes, I agree. I mean, for me, I come from a culture which is uh, different, you know, in the modern world here when something bad happens or when we're going through grief, there isn't much time, you know, yeah. maybe a couple of days and everybody goes about their way, go back to work um, and you really don't have any time to process it. And this could be from anything, really, any type of grief. But in my culture, you know, it's an extended period of time and not to say that you're kind of you know wallowing in your misery there um, but you do have a lot of people there uh, with you encouraging you um, because i lost my mother when i was 12 mm. and we had people at my house for over a month really you know bringing us food and uh, playing games with us but having that sort of spaciousness community yeah. yes yes people give you the space and it's okay to mourn you know yeah. and i i agree that makes that makes a big difference it, we yeah. we should not be suppressing pain it, it happens to stages and there's no one size fits all formula some people will grieve in stages gradually over a period of years and because mm -hmm. that's that's how it's going to be for them but yeah there's if 
there's often no framework for the initiation that that actually is for someone. And there is something to be said about what you named around, there's a difference between sorrow and the victimization that can happen through loss where it feels like such a shock and a betrayal that we lose faith, faith in life or we lose faith in the universe or we lose faith in, in, in whatever we place our faith in. And so that's actually a dark night in the soul when we lose all our faith, when, we, when we're having an identity restructuring. And so, you know, death is often a catalyst for a lot of people to have enough of an interruption to kind of get a glimpse of how precious life is or that our choices, you know, matter or that, you know, love is, is truly a profound energy that's underlying how life works. And so, you know, the ritual or the, the process of grieving has, yeah, has so many nuances to it. It really does. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, not about just getting it all out and then you're done. It's, it's like actually welcoming a healthy relationship with how to move energy. Like as a culture, we, we don't, we lost the technology of emotional intelligence and we were moved into a construct of the mental body, which is highly rational and strategic and doesn't really make space for feeling. And so, you know, this isn't just grief. This is many other emotions too that get suppressed in our society and then come out sideways, you know, come out in these really unhealthy ways, you know, suddenly or all at once because we haven't allowed the inclusivity of our day-to-day life to have that just be a part of it. Where like, you know, I mean, when I first opened those floodgates and started to grieve my brother-in-law, I started to grieve other things too. I started to grieve the fact that I was never allowed to grieve as a man. For the first time in my life, gave myself permission to cry. And crying became a regular part of my weeks and days. <laughs> it was just like, all right, 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes before bed. Don't need to create a lot of meaning around it. Let's just, it's just coming up. It's moving. Okay. And then you, and you normalize the process of moving energy in that way. And it's no longer this like iron gate that you've never let open and would never dare let anyone see you in and it becomes more normalized and it becomes healthy. It becomes a natural part of what it means to be a human being and be alive. That when you're mm-hmm. sad, you're sad. When you're happy, you're happy. And we're not trying to avoid the pain and cling to pleasure and sustain a mask of happiness when there's all this unresolved stuff actually buzzing underneath that's preventing us from actually having the level of fulfillment that we truly want. Because we have to move the energy and build a relationship with our own emotional body if we want to have more fulfilling experiences, if we want more sustained intimacy, if we want more scalable love, that you can actually maintain and grow and build and have a have more of a relationship to all of life, you know, experiencing the magic and the wonder of what it means to be a soul. You know, just like little kids when they're we don't have any of these constructs, they they're free. They run free, their energy's flowing, they're healthy, they're shameless, they're expressed. You know, we all have that version of us. And, and it got lost because of trauma and and conditioning and all that stuff. And so if we want to, if we want to become as free as, as that again, in an integrated way, I'm not saying to run around and, you know, naked and, and shit your pants. <laughs> uh, I'm saying that that innocence, when you reclaim it, allows you to access so much of life's gifts at a very profound level. Absolutely. I agree. Yes. You know, I have a four-year-old son. And one thing I will not tell him is not to cry because, you know, you hear a lot of women especially say that, oh, there aren't enough emotionally available men going around. And well, if we're teaching them not to show emotions when they're little 
kids, <sighs> obviously, there's going to be a problem when, you know, they grow up. But yes, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And, um, you know, showing sadness or crying is absolutely natural. Another thing I get is, you know, when I am upset or, you know, when I'm crying, people say, oh, but, you know, you are a coach. Uh, you, you, you help people. How can you get sad? And I'm like, <laughs> I am human, <laughs> yes. you know? Uh, so th these are very humanly emotions and uh, absolutely we need to be felt. They ha we have to feel them. Let's talk about change. <laughs> you know, we're very resistant to change. Many people are, and it creates a lot of pain. It creates, uh, you know, it's very destructive when we're resisting change. Tell us about your experience in aligning with change and how can we do that? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I had enough, you know, experiences to see that impermanence was a very real aspect of life that that change is woven into the framework of our reality and that a lot of peace comes from acceptance and acceptance isn't easy it's not like yeah magically accept certain fundamental laws of the universe and <laughs> like you know we're given construct we are conditioned with constructs and those constructs are designed to keep us safe from from things but that safety is an illusion And so to me, having building a relationship with how reality works sets us up for success. Then we align with it. And so, you know, for me, yeah, like the death of loved ones, the breakups, separations, um, injuries, you know, failing at an attempt, whatever it is, like the going through the journey enough times, but also experiencing the rewards of sticking with something, you know, because sometimes like change when it comes for someone who's you know, very, very attached to whatever it is that they wanted life to look like. You know, they had an, a mapped out fantasy ideal. You know, they had a projected scenario of like, oh, this is how my marriage is supposed to look, or this is, I'm a so-and-so at this job, or, you know, these things, when the identity merges with those things and, the, and then change comes, it, it kind of strips us of who we think we are. But the opportunity in that is to kind of get to the to the essence of who we are. You know, there's so much focus on the peripheral, on the external in our culture. And all these other cultures that I was talking about, there's, there's a deep wellspring of the internal. And we've lost that in the West. We've lost the power of our internal nature because we're scrambling on the periphery. And so when the peripheral, because it's, it's truly based in change, the only thing that's unchanging is, is the internal, is the, we have an undying aspect of us that is a soul. We have, an essence. And then when we learn to tap into that consciousness that is all pervading, that is uniquely, you know, alive here within this body, but isn't the body and isn't the mind, you know, it isn't the emotions, it isn't the thoughts. When we can start to build a relationship to that, the, the subtleties of who we are beyond these constructs, we start to create freedom we start to create freedom from suffering. And at first, for some people on the spiritual path, it's a peak experience and then it becomes a, a bypass tool. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no perfect formula, right? And so each soul has to go through their journey of coming to, into a direct relationship with how life works and what their unique gifts and challenges are and dispositions. Some people have a certain type of attachment style and relationship. 
Some people have a certain style of avoidance or whatever it is. And so we have to unpack what our unique defense structures are, our unique survival tools came online in childhood and, you know, how we use those to navigate our reality and where those still show up in relationship or still show up, you know, and how we want to be perceived by others. All, all those things that keep us in the rat race and keep us in certain things that don't actually bring fulfillment. The, the deeper work will, will, is always available and life will bring it to everyone. And that what I think is happening right now on the planet is that there is a global initiation happening where people are being thrusted into this type of initiation without any context for it. And there is a roadmap for a lot of, a lot of people that come through these mystical traditions that come through the deeper kinds of, of shadow work or therapies that were designed to address trauma. There's a healthy balance of the spiritual and the functional, the therapeutic. And again, each soul has got to go on their own journey and kind of figure out, okay, like, you know what? Yoga doesn't work for me, but I love biohacking in this way. And like Wim Hof method's great. And wow, that breath work really changed. Whatever it is, there's millions of sets of tools out. There's tons of epic practitioners. There's tons of different technology. When I say technologies, I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily referring to tech in a mechanical way, but, uh, but a technology being a science of the soul or a science of the body or science of our biochemistry or our bioelectric nervous system and how it works. And so people need to go on that journey and, and explore, you know, what meditation is the best for them at that juncture in their life. You know, maybe a sitting meditation or passive meditation is not going to work for them. They need a more of an active meditation, a Qigong or a movement-based meditation. Maybe uh, talk therapy is not the best way to actually move the energy and they need something more somatic where someone's guiding them into the fascia of their body. So it's going to be unique for everybody to go on that, on that healing journey. But having a context and a framework of, okay, like these are my attachments and these are the things that, I, that I'm, you know, here's the behaviors that I can be honest with myself about that I'm, that I'm addicted to, that I'm using to, to avoid pain. Am I willing to bring more support into my life? Am I willing to have deeper conversations with people? Am I willing to get a little more vulnerable about what I'm really challenged with and start to bring the light of connection to those challenges. That's where it starts. That's mm -hmm. where you start to build a healthy relationship with change. And knowing that change is like a glass ceiling, uh, the avoidance of change is like, is like having a glass ceiling. It's inevitable that it's going to crack, crack open. So, yeah, so there's lots of tools. You know, I, I think there's, there's different entry level things. And I think, that, you know, one of the things that I, I, I love for people of all ages and, mindsets as CBD, you know, I work with a CBD company, Ojai Energetics, I'm happy to give a, a discount code for your whole tribe. But that's something that I've found really helpful for a lot of people because it brings them out of fight or flight. And once we're out of fight or flight, we can we can feel ourselves, we can grieve when we're off the battlefield of the stress patterns of the fight or flight energy. And so anything that's going to bring us out of fight or flight into more of a limbic brain or that, that aspect of our nervous system that, that isn't in high alert and hypervigilance is really important to be able to cope with change because we're most of humanity is in a survival energetic and don't know it. They don't know that they're in a type of fight or flight. They don't even, they can't even see it. And so CBD mm -hmm. brings us out of that fight or flight in our nervous systems because the amount of stressors we have in our modern world, they're incomparable to when we were in more tribal settings and when our nervous systems can relax fully at the end of the day, we come out of the hunt and you're not in the hunt all the time. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we're firing our adrenals glands. We're firing these uh, stress hormones constantly in our culture. And so, you know, on a very practical level, CBD or 
ways of, of unwinding stress are going to be the, the main entry point for a lot of people. Yes, absolutely agree. Uh, we'll definitely make put a link for the discount code for that. Um, I take CBD and I know how effective it is. It also makes a lot of sense for me um, when you mentioned that most of our attachment issues or anything, they come from our childhood. And whenever we're experiencing a resistance to change, it's definitely worth the time to not always point a finger externally, but you know, when we point a finger, actually three point back at us. So we need to figure out like, where's that resistance coming from? And it's usually from our past. I read this quote somewhere, I forget, but we don't have relationship issues. We have childhood issues most of the time. And when we get to know that, when we get to know our childhood traumas and when we work on that, it definitely makes a huge uh, difference. And uh, the reason actually why I even started this podcast is to help people become aware that there are so many ways, uh, like mm. you mentioned, to heal so many ways. I, when I first started my healing journey, I went to, you know, uh, talk therapy and I quickly realized that that wasn't for me. <laughs> I actually, you know, I didn't want to go back. Uh, I thought that was just... But, you know, for some people that might work. But I started this podcast to give people the opportunity to bring amazing people like you to share their stories and to help them become aware that the power to heal is actually really within us. And I feel like we're giving that power away to, you know, doctors are amazing. You know, biomedicine doctors are amazing. But at the end of the day, the power lies within uh, inside of us to heal. So that really makes sense to me. Why do you think, so people have the tendency to settle for things because they're afraid of, again, you know, change. But what do you think is the core reason that people settle for, for things that they're not worthy of? Or Familiarity is a form of safety blanket for the, for the child consciousness. Even if it's destructive or limiting, it, it feels safer because it's familiar. And again, for the, for the ego construct of the consciousness, the way that I understand ego is it's not necessarily, you know, like there's lots of different, you know, expressions of what, what ego is and mysticism and other things. But for me, the, what I understand ego is from a bioenergetic standpoint, which is a more advanced integrative therapeutic methodology that understands how the nervous system works is that the ego is a set of defense mechanisms of how our, basically our child self navigated or manipulated our environment to survive. And so when we develop later on and our, our cognitive minds turn on around four and a half, and, you know, and, and, but there's a storehouse of, of, you know, subconscious and emotional subtle energies that are buzzing in the background, like I said, underneath all of it. The ego construct, these different forms of defense patterns, the different things that keep us safe or perceived threat or, you know, challenge uh, our, how we relate to reality itself, its function is to avoid change. Like change equals death for that construct. But most people have merged with those constructs and don't realize that they're playing with maybe 10% of who they are. 
and and they put all they went all in on the ten percent and left ninety percent of who they really are. And so the the egoic construct is uh, yeah. Once we start to illuminate it and we see okay yeah see this tendency to to dominate someone here or to to check out of the body in this way like whatever it is new every single if you're a human being in a body on the earth you have trauma. It's okay, and we need to normalize it. But how we cope with it and how we deal with it is what's important. And so that ego construct will maintain familiarity at all costs, even if it's absolutely destructive. Even if it's the thing that we actually fear the most, it will recreate it. And that's that's where the reprocessing and the, and the work needs to happen. Because if you know, a lot of people, they'll, yeah, they'll go to talk therapy for years and never have a change because they're looping. They're just looping in the energetics. They haven't gone into the deeper pockets of of the emotion or the emotional energy or have have a skillful enough practitioner that can help them see hey this is this is your defense pattern this is the mechanism because it's a science you know um, it's a tech it's a technology <laughs> of survival you know and so it's pretty profound you know for me like when I you know I mentored with someone over 10 years in this in this methodology and when I would like have certain things reflected to me and realizations of like oh my god that's why I've done that my whole life like painfully, it's painful, but also relieving at the same time because you're getting down to the source of your suffering. <laughs> you're like, this is how I'm creating suffering for myself. And this is why that relationship never worked. And this is where I need to take self-responsibility now and, and, and fill in the gaps and learn to love myself more in this area that I've compensated for in all these ways, you know, whatever it is. It's again, it's that honest conversation. It's that deeper, more honest conversation with ourselves. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. Like every single human being is coping with their reality in different ways. But building a conscious relationship with that over time, it doesn't need to run our reality anymore. It doesn't need to dominate our reality. And we get to have, again, more and more fulfilling soul, soul expansive experiences more consistently once we build a relationship with that subconscious aspect of our soul. You have a book, The Self-Mastery Handbook, Nine Keys to Sustainable Love and Soul-Embodied Service. Yes. Can you tell us about that book and what does sustainable love mean? Yeah, so sustainable or scalable love means a love that can endure. It means that when you start doing some of the work that I'm mentioning, you can have relationships in your life that are scalable that are resilient, they don't break down, they don't, they're not fragile, where you tiptoe around each other's stuff, but forging relationships that that are built on self-commitment and the commitment to the work as a foundation and then become another agent of love and, and support to that journey, right? So uh, sustainable love means, means a love that we can never lose. It's sustainable, it's ongoing, it grows, it gets more regenerative. And that starts with the self, mm -hmm. it starts with a deeper self-love. and. We weren't taught how to love ourselves. We weren't. We were. We were. Most of us have had different forms of uh, abuse or abandonment or neglect or codependency, and so those different types of traumas get stored and we we re, are repatterned. You know, they they replay, and so the thing that interrupts that is a deep commitment to self love. To become the primary source of love for our own innocence is essential to to restructure that reprogramming. And so once once we cross a certain threshold in that work. There is enough of an authentic self-love online that we can venture into other places. And love becomes an ongoing thing, even if certain people fall out of your life. When you go through enough of a, of a shift in orientation in that self-love, you know that love will always be there. It may change its forms. 
it may, you know, the, the characters may come and go, but the, the love will remain the same. And that's been my experience as, as I've learned to love myself. You know, I still have my edges in my pockets that are more challenging to love myself, but there is a, a healthy self-love there is how I've been able to, to expand in many other areas of my life and do the things that people think are impossible or how does one person do that? You know, it's because I'm in enough self-connection with my own innocence that I can actually have fun. I can play in, the, in work, you know, do those other things. And so, you know, I'd say that, yeah, sustainable love starts with a sustainable love within. You know, it really is about forging an authentic connection with self, an authentic connection with our own lost innocence and, and, and beginning to cultivate that. So mm-hmm. the ebook is a kind of a step-by-step process for people that really want to bring their gifts into the world, that really want to, you know, be more actively on a path of personal development or you know, self-mastery is a little bit of a higher standard kind of terminology, but that's how I understand it and what kind of how life forged me. <laughs> so it's kind mm-hmm. of a nice foundational body of work and, and it's free. It's free on my website. You can get it for free right now. I'll probably keep it free for the, for the rest of the year. And it's a really cool framework of understanding. And again, I, I really wanted to give people something practical, but something also informed from, you know, some of the mystical experiences that I've had and, and, and ground something in that gives them a framework of understanding because I don't want people to have to go through as much suffering as I went through. You know, 14 years, I discovered a lot of things that worked and didn't work and had to go through trial and error. And I believe a lot of people that are awakening on the planet at this time, and a lot of people that are stepping into this work can have a little bit of an easier journey. It's still going to be painful at times, but you don't have to suffer as Mm. much. Yes. Self-love has been, you know, a lot of people are talking about self-love now. For me, I didn't know what I thought self-love means, you know, getting my hair done, doing my nails. And that's, you know, I, I learned that, okay, that's probably caring for myself. But until I got deeper into my journey, I didn't know what self-love was. And I definitely makes sense to me what you were saying. Um, we need to really be more compassionate. Self-love means showing compassion to yourself and being forgiving. Definitely, you know, when you're going through your journey, to be forgiving to yourself and yeah, a lot of these really a lot of these concepts will remain concepts for people until they live into them, you know, which just takes support. Mm-hmm. It just takes support, it takes guidance, it takes uh, a willingness because these, you know, you can say self-love and you can say compassion and people are like I don't even know what that is quite frankly quite yet. I I understand the idea of it, but to have an embodied experience of it, it's, it usually takes some inco- accompaniment. You know, until we like somebody right. clicks on, like that light bulb goes on within and, and you have the felt, irrefutable felt state experience of it in your body. And you're like, oh, this is what self-love feels like. Oh my God, this is what it feels like to connect to my lost innocence or my inner child, not as a concept of the inner child, but literally as a tangible living energy within your nervous system that you can connect with. It, exactly. takes, it takes guidance yeah. and practice. And my experience is ongoing, Um, you know, it's every time I now learn something about myself and I'm like, oh, okay, this is something I didn't know that I did. It could be, I, you know, I was definitely a people pleaser. And when I learned that, you know, saying, okay, it's okay, you know, I didn't give myself a hard time about it, but now that I know there are things that I could do about it. And it's always just growing. And when we stop to grow is when we really abandon ourselves, I think. So what do you think 
is one thing that we can do today to deepen our spirituality. Commit to yourself, you know, and be willing to live into the questions, you know, like asking the deeper questions and being willing to discover and be guided by life. You know, once there's a willingness and there's a commitment, the, the universe will conspire to bring you all your answers and all the support you need. And so it is is really about committing, leaving the energy of half-heartedness or leaving the, the shadow of doubt, of, of jadedness or skepticism and actually stepping into the journey fully as a choice. And it doesn't mean that it has to be, be fixed or one kind of spirituality that you have to prescribe to. It just means willing to go on the journey of discovery at a, at a much higher level. But that commitment is essential. Mm, yes, I agree. Absolutely. And Duke, you've shared so much with us today. We're so grateful. I'm so thankful for you. What is one thing that I could do and that my listeners can do to serve you? Well, that's a really sweet question. I mean, you know, my Instagram is a, is a big platform and my YouTube is building. So share my videos, you know, come check out the content that I'm releasing. You know, I share a lot of inspiring posts, doing stories every day. I'm, you know, posting, you know, kind of well-produced videos like the one you saw where I'm, I'm going, you know, really deep into a subject and, you know, I'm a poet and an artist as well. So I like, I like to share content that inspires people and no matter where they are in their journey. And that would feel the most supportive to me is just, you know, helping spread my message and bringing more people into the conversation because we have some pretty important conversations to have on our planet right now. And I, I really, you know, want people to participate and feel that they're welcome to participate in this new culture that's, that's, that's emerging on our planet. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And how can people contact you? It's uh, Luke Cohen, L-U-K-E-K-O-H-E-N, Instagram, and then uh, also on my website. Awesome. And I will put that on the show notes as well. Thank you so, so much. That was amazing. Wow, that was really, really beautiful. I had a wonderful time talking with Duke. There was so much wisdom shared. There's just so much to learn from him. He's just a beautiful soul, and I'm glad that I got to bring him here in this podcast and that uh, you guys got the opportunity to, you know, be a part of what he shared with us. And I hope that it really resonated with you. And if you believe that there would be someone that will benefit from anything that was shared on this episode, please, please go ahead and share it. Like, you know, you heard, Luke, that we need to have a lot of important discussions. And these important discussions are, you know, they need to be soulful. People need to be heard. And we need to be there for one another. That's what we're seeing right now in our world, that we all are really not as different as it might have seemed. What I'm going through right now there's another person on the other side of the world that's experiencing very, very similar, you know, situations that I'm going through here. So I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're listening. And if you believe that this might benefit anyone, please go ahead and share it. Definitely, definitely let me know what you think. Write me a review, share it on Instagram. Let me know what you think or on your, you know, on your social media, but just make sure that you let me know what you think because it really matters to me and I'm so interested to know what you think. So beautiful souls, thank you so much for being part of my tribe and until next time, stay safe, 
Be blessed. Love you all. Bye.